Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, Give Thanks, or I should say hashtag Give Thanks. I am so excited today because we are having a group panel with all of the major voices in the Mormon Discussions podcast family. We've got Bill Reel, the grandpappy of Mormon Discussions, present and accounted for. How are you doing this morning, Bill? I am excellent and uh, looking forward to the conversation this morning. And not only do we have Bill Reel, but we're also very excited to have the two hosts of Marriage on a Tightrope, Alan Mount and Katie Mount. How are you this morning? Ladies first. We're, I'm, I'm awake. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's an hour earlier where I am just, you know, I'm not just, bragging or anything. Just to make it clear. Just to make it clear. <laughs> really? Well, if I say I'm thankful that I'm up an hour earlier than you are, is it still bragging? It's all a mind game. You just gotta <laughs> <pick yourself. laughs> Exactly. No, we're excited to be here. Uh, this is a, a fun little Mormon discussion uh, reunion party. Yes. And we are hopeful. Jonathan Streeter, who we were hoping would be present for at least part of this, is not yet signed in. We tried to call him. He's not picking up. He's giving us the cold shoulder. But hopefully he'll join us a little bit later. And if so, we will let him in. All right. So is everybody ready to go? Let's so do it. Just. So okay. Just. Well, good. Because on November 20th, just last Friday, President Nelson gave an 11-minute videotaped pre-recorded message. It was billed as a message of hope and healing. And it had been advertised for, I think, about a week in advance of that broadcast. And the entire Mormon world was abuzz with anticipation as to what it was that he might say to the LDS Church and to the world, for crying out loud, because he's been promoted from president of the LDS Church to global faith leader. He is he is a global faith leader. We can I, I want to hit on that maybe a little later, but we can certainly do it now if you want. No, no, I'm just sitting there. I'm, I'm waiting for some audience response. I usually don't have an audience, but it look, I'm asking, is this an audience or an oil painting? Uh, maybe a little bit of both this early in the morning. <laughs> Once again, earlier here. But anyway, I, yes, Alan. RFM, I, I prefer to, to uh, call him a GFL, if that's okay. Acronyms make him sound cooler. Uh, a global faith leader. That's what the, the F is for faith, right? Yeah. No comment. Sounds okay. like a double A soccer league, the GFL. Well, I want to divide this, uh, this discussion up into three parts, and I'll let you know in advance what it is, since you're sort of just getting on board with my plan right now. The first plan is to talk about our expectations in advance of his address, and then talk a little bit about his message and our personal thoughts about it. And then afterward, if there's any among you who, for any reason, thinks that maybe you weren't satisfied completely with the address and the message that President Nelson gave, what you would have liked perhaps to have heard him say. Okay. So three Damn. parts to it. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? <laughs> right. So, uh, but as I say, getting into this expectation part, the, the Mormon world was a buzz about this. And uh, frankly, I saw a lot of comments on social media um, from the faithful who gave kind of the expected sycophantic, adulation, that whatever it was that President Nelson was going to be saying would be the very best possible thing that could be said and was guaranteed to give us not only hope, but also healing 
in this difficult time of 2020. By the way, today's date is November 25th, 2020 for future generations. And this has been, well, the year from hell, to put it mildly. I would say that uh, with the coronavirus, with uh, social unrest, with all sorts of things, wildfires, my gosh, it has been an incredible year. And I would uh, say that probably this may be the worst year that our generation has experienced. And by that, I mean basically in the United States of America. But it, I can't think of a worse year in my and, lifetime. And RFM, when, when you think about what this year is, you know, this, I know this first topic we're, we're talking about anticipating what the message was going to be. Couldn't we have, or shouldn't we have, or maybe we did, kind of predict what he would talk about? Well, yeah, and I think there was a lot of that going on. And I know that my prediction, which I mentioned to a number of people, was that what I expected was 11 minutes of pre-recorded pablum. And that's just based upon what I've seen before, what generally happens in general conference. Obviously, this is supposed to be special. This is a month after general conference from October. Uh, God has given him something new and important that he needs to say that he didn't say in general conference. So it was going to be something that was certainly billed as very important, but still based upon the past, I thought it would probably be the same old, same old. I'm not sure I was too far off in that, but Bill, Bill Real, what were your expectations of this message? All right. So um, give me a minute to formulate this. So if we go back in time to this past general conference, it was also built up significantly. There was this commentary by the first presidency, specifically President Nelson, that if, you know, that everybody should tune into general conference, it was going to be the, the greatest thing ever. Um, and, and what ended up, in fact, I think we're talking two conferences ago, if I'm not mistaken, maybe, but it was where they did the handkerchief thing. Um, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just, I think it's a Hosanna shout is what it's called. And it, that was what everybody kind of tuned in for was that in the new logo about the church, which by the way, I haven't really seen it used at all anywhere. It, it seems strange. Like we touted it in general conference and I haven't really seen a lot of it it's out YouTube in the logo. It's their YouTube logo. Okay. But it's also, it was also meant to be the church logo, right? Yes. If you go to the LDS.org, sorry, church of Jesus Christ.org, you'll see it at the bottom of every page, I think. Yeah, but it just hasn't gotten much social push. It hasn't really been, I haven't seen an effort to kind of get the entire world to go, hey, we changed our logo. Here it is all the time. So what, I've, what I'm saying or what I'm getting to is that multiple times now with the fast, the two fast regarding COVID, the general conference with the new logo and the, um, the Hosanna shout, the commentary in a few years ago in general conference from... Uh, Elder Cook about the church being as strong as ever. It just seems like we're trying to push this high bar on the membership. And the reality is that something somewhat disappointing kind of happens where the membership and even us as post-Mormons, um, you know, you and me and maybe Alan too, to some extent, as post-Mormons, we, we, um, we're waiting for something big to happen. Uh, Katie, I'd love to hear your two cents when I get done, if what your expectations were and whether they were met. But it just feels like over the last four, five, six years, whenever the church says it's going to do something really big, it really doesn't. 
And so by this point, I just didn't really expect that much. So all of that to get to the point of, I really didn't have a high expectation. I, there was a lot of things that if I were the president of the church, that in this moment of civil unrest, of a pandemic going on, of lives being lost, of people claiming a fraudulent election, uh, there were a lot of things that I think a, a prophet, seer, and revelator, if I were him, what I would talk about. And, but I also kind of knew at this point that my expectations of what I would do weren't going to be what the church would do. And so to me, it was kind of, I don't know, it didn't live up to, I think, the hype of what they continually push when they ask us to join in on these things and to listen. Katie, what are your thoughts? I think when I got the email about it, I was more cautiously optimistic. I thought, okay, I, here's a chance to talk, get, bring some comfort or hope um, to people who are really struggling. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I didn't really set the bar very high, to be honest with you. I, I just felt like, well, we'll just we'll just wait and see what happens. And uh, and I I didn't feel like it was going to be this big revelation of anything. Um, I just felt like it was more along the lines of like, you know, what they do at Christmas time, the first presidency's message, or I think in the past, some of the things that have been talked about um, during general conference has been tone deaf. And so I was hoping that whatever message that was going to be given was more on par with what's happening right now. Mm. Katie, mm-hmm. can I ask you a question? Yeah. So, um, all four of us grew up in the church, very committed to it. And I say grow up, I converted, of course, but very committed to the church in my young adulthood. The three of you, I mean, I, I know your stories. You guys have been committed to the church at various points in your lives. Um, Alan and obviously not as much today in terms of activity. Okay. Bill, don't make me come through the screen and slap you. That's twice. Okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what did I you know what did I say wrong? Down your throat. Did, I, well, did I mislabel I'm Radio you? Free Mormon. Hello, oh, McFly. Shoot. Dang oh, it. That, I didn't even catch that. Well, I did. Okay. All right. I will uh, edit the hell out no, of you. No, 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 no. I, I will edit it. I'll edit it tomorrow morning and I'll release it on Thanksgiving. That way we give thanks on Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, all right. I'll fix it. I'll, I won't say that again. So knowing that, you know, Katie, you're still in the church. Alan and RFM are... Uh, out to some extent, at least in activity and belief, I'm out. We, we all were committed at one point, and I was, I was taught about what a prophet was, that he was this person just like Moses, Noah, and Abraham who spoke to God. And just as you're pointing out, like you didn't have a very high bar, I'm curious if what your thoughts are on all of us, and specifically you, how you've done it, I think we've all had to kind of lower the bar of what a prophet is in terms of how Mormonism wants to define it and is able to carry it out to the degree at which they can fulfill uh, the expectations of membership and those who are out. Um, What's that process looked like for you? Because it sounds like you've done that too, that you've had to go like, look, I'm not really expecting much from this guy who claims to talk direct directly to God in these moments of huge crisis across the world? That's a really good question. I think that because definitely um, my thoughts and feelings have changed over the past couple years. And really it it has to do a lot with Alan and um, how he sees things now and how we've processed together some of the church history, um, what prophets do, what they teach. And so 
where I am is where I am in my marriage. I'm a nuanced member, just like I'm in, you know, I'm nuanced in my own marriage. And so I think that sometimes it's difficult because um, maybe I feel like I'm straddling the line and I'm feeling like I'm, I'm trying my best to take it for what it is versus, okay, was it really inspired? Was this something that he actually talked to God about? And then he's giving us this message. Um, and so having said that, I also know that before I never really thought that um, men, especially prophets, were infallible. And I just don't believe that anymore. And I think that um, everyone, everyone is infallible. And so I think really good people can come to conclusions that are different than ourselves. And, um, and so I respect and I can listen to messages like that, but I'm also nuanced to say this works for me and this doesn't work for me. And I can use my own personal feelings and revelation to decide how I feel about it, which is, which is a much different place than I was fully active believing in where I took everything for face value. You know, I, when I look at, first of all, wonderfully put, (laughs) uh, second of all, you know, when, when I look at the news sometimes, and that's typically not through a traditional means like RFM would in a a newspaper or in a rocking chair on his porch, that's how I picture you getting the news RFM. I don't know if that's correct. You can correct me later. Are you making an age joke? No, not at all. Not at all. Hashtag ageism. When I'm on, on Reddit or, uh, you know, the young Turks.com, I, 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 I see the, the Pope Francis, you know, making announcements or the, or quotes from the Dalai Lama of some interview that he did. And, and, and when I see them doing positive things that a global faith leader would do it, it, I don't really have any expectations for them because they were never part of my belief system. So when I see them making positive statements uh, that aren't prophetic, but that are, you can say inspiring and God doesn't have to have a part of that word. If, if you don't believe that uh, it, it doesn't, doesn't bite as much. So I think <laughs> much like the, the success to a marriage is low expectations. The success, this is the success with your relationship with, with a religion perhaps is low expectations as well. And going, that's my expectation or anticipation of this event was just that it was, you know, the only bar that I really had to set was just please don't give ammunition to those that no longer believe the same way. I, I feel like that's in general conference. That's certainly a, a theme going through my mind being in a mixed faith marriage for sure, being in, a, in families that, that are still believing, like that's one of the prevailing concerns when a leader of this church speaks is it's not going to wound me personally. In fact, I'm not even concerned that it's going to damage my relationship with my spouse because I know that she chooses me and that's wonderful. But what about my mom? What about my in-laws? What about my neighbors? That can be a little concerning. So going into this event, that's that's the only concern that that I had. Other than that, the bar was set pretty low. Alan, I have a little bit of a personal question to ask you. Does Katie actually meet your low expectations of her? (laughs) Oh, fighting words. Of course she does. I'm glad to know that. Katie, praise for you. Praise for you. You meet the low expectations. (laughs) 
Yeah. Okay. But here's the other thing. All right. Uh, and we've all talked about low expectations, but once again, there was a barrage of very high expectations uh, that I saw by members. And it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy because they don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But after the message was given, I saw a huge buzz of, well, that was the most wonderful thing in the world that could possibly ever have been said. And we're so thankful to have a prophet of God who speaks for God on the face of the earth today and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So uh, I think that we may be in the minority of people who had low expectations. However, once again, background, background on this is that we cannot ignore the fact, and I certainly haven't forgotten the fact that about six to seven months ago, I'd say seven months ago now, President Nelson called upon the church and even the world for two worldwide days of fasting and prayer, two separate days, to turn back the pandemic. Uh, he gave one, I think the first one was on Good Friday. Apparently it didn't do the trick, so a second one was called for. This is obviously the background for this because the pandemic is still with us, and if anything, it's hit another spike, but it's very much with us. So now it's seven months later, he's going to be giving a, an address on hope and healing. And one of the questions that I had was, is he going to address or even reference the fact that there were these two prior days of fasting prayer, which apparently did not work for whatever reason? And would he call on the world for a third day of fasting and prayer under the theory that the third time's the charm? Uh, I wondered if he was going to do that. Some people were wondering if he would, at a very minimal level, at least advocate from his prophetic bully pulpit, the wearing of masks and social distancing. Because, of course, uh, there is a contingent of people, and some of them are members of the LDS Church and faithful members of the LDS Church who look up to him as a prophet, who are not uh, socially distancing, who are not wearing masks, or even uh, having protests about it. And so uh, some people were thinking it would be a good idea if he gave the direction from his prophetic position to the members of the church to do those things. Uh, Arthur, were any of you, you aware wanna, of that, Alan? into your anticipation? Or do you want responses to, to those bullets? Uh, that, go ahead. Do whatever you want right now. Whatever the spirit oh. moves you. Okay. So what... Watching the, watching the video, if you only read it or listen to it, you're not going to catch the last few points that you just said, advocating for mask wearing and social distancing. Uh, you know, I took a note here that's, that, that says in the middle of the video while he's talking about this crazy year, um, he, does, he does make mention, he says, where is it? He says, we see the critical need to spread the rate of infection. The critical need to spread to, it? To reduce, to, to reduce. reduce the spread. Okay. Um, uh, the rate of, of infection. And while he says that, there is a picture, a video of someone putting a mask on. And then right after that, there is a picture of chairs that are six feet apart. So I think in their own, in their own, you know, they're balancing and truly I, I feel <laughs> for someone that is a global faith leader, uh, especially an LDS global faith leader right now, the, the two camps are so divided and a, a silly should should be not a political issue has become extremely political where I feel it's, you know, he's a doctor that spent 40 plus years wearing a mask because he knows it works. And he touts that in his video. Well, many times he touts science, that, right? Man of science. Yeah. yeah so, so when, when they're making this video, it's like, how can we have him advocate for masks and social distancing and s smart behavior during a pandemic without actually saying it and isolating over half of his base? 
I think that's the direction that they went. Again, that's maybe crossing from the anticipation of the event into the actual details. But that's what came to mind when you said that. No, that's fine. And I, I'm wondering why it is that a prophet and a global faith leader, as he is being proclaimed now, does not want to come out and say something that seems to many people, and I would assume to himself, like you said, he spent his career wearing masks so he doesn't infect the people he's operating on, right? Why is it that he doesn't just come out and say it? And why is it that it has to be done while he's talking just in a video clip, a brief video clip too? of someone starting to put on a mask while he's talking over it. In my mind, it sort of sounds like um, the idea of having the gospel topics essays on the church website, but we're not going to announce it and we're going to bury them three clicks deep. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, I, I just, it strikes me that the, the church's leaders are in this day very different from biblical prophets and even very different from, say, Joseph Fielding Smith or a Bruce R. McConkie, in that it seems like we have to tiptoe and generalize and soften everything so as not to upset anybody. And that seems um, antithetical to what what we say a prophet is, which is somebody who has courage and stands up and says the hard things, even at the expense of offending somebody so that people have the mind and will of God and direction to, to lead their lives. If president Nelson had said, uh, you know, heavenly father, I felt impressed by heavenly father to tell the saints to take every precaution, including wearing masks and to practice social distancing. Number one, he would have saved lives by doing that additional lives and number two is the members of the church who struggle with mask wearing or social distancing. Many of them would have gotten line and jumped on board. That's what we Mormons do when we believe and have a testimony is when the prophet speaks, we do what's asked of us. And, and so I thought there was a great opportunity to have a positive impact in terms of saving real lives on the ground during this this moment when, by the way, after Too Fast, we ha now have more deaths yesterday that we've had since, I think, May. Uh, this thing is hitting another peak, and we are still a little bit of time away from the majority of the population getting a vaccine, which should be coming quite quickly here. In a couple of weeks, it'll start going out. Um, I think it was a failed opportunity, and, and I'm a little saddened that we are so careful of what we say that we actually allow real damage to be done by not giving good advice and telling people to take every precaution. Yes, going off of something that Alan had said, uh, just a bit of concern that he wouldn't say anything that was damaging. And that was your main concern, that President Nelson not say anything that you would find would give ammunition maybe to critics of the church. And he probably avoided that, that much at least. I think um, it wasn't particularly remarkable, but on the other hand, it wasn't really uh, damaging in any way, at least not that I can see, except for what Bill has said, you know, he had the opportunity to literally probably actually save some lives by coming out and just being very direct and saying, you need to wear a mask, you need to social distance, and you Mormons who are doing the opposite, you need to get in line with that right now. But once again, going off of what Alan had said, additional background is, of course, we know that this is the, the man who claimed revelation for the policy of exclusion, that that was given by revelation. So we know he has the capacity to claim things as revelation from God that are generally seen as harmful to many members of the church. And so there is this 
uh, I don't want to say dread, that's probably too big a word, but apprehension that he might say something that could be harmful as well. And it's sort of like little Jimmy going upstairs to play with the chemistry set. We're just thankful when he doesn't blow something up. Again, I'm only going to be piling on, and I, and I don't want to do that. I, I think the – and we ought to get to this, which is I think the message is a good message. I think you take away his role as prophet, seer, and revelator, and if you just put the you know member of the council of the Methodist church up on stage and, and he says the same thing, I think we applaud it. I think we go, yippee. Um, I, th- I think what was said was great. The, the problem is that here's a man, here's a church that claims this guy speaks directly to God and he could say a thousand things and he got us, you know, he, he tells us all that this came to him in the middle of the night again, which, which he's got a record of doing too. And so here's this opportunity for a, a man who claims to be uh, the spokesman for God, the only spokesman upon the face of the earth for God. And, and there's a lot of things that would have been more valuable that could have been said or done that would have had real impact because we're all giving thanks this week anyway. Um, so again, I'm, I'm coming to come off negative. I just, I just see a failed opportunity. That is something that did not occur to me when I was watching this. By the way, I watched this as it went live. Did everybody else? I did, yeah. I did not. I no. watched it an hour after it aired. Okay. I'm more righteous. I'm more righteous. <laughs> Apparently. Well, here's the deal is that. Ouch. True. Yeah. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert for everybody. Basically, the message was that he wanted people to be grateful for their blessings. Then there's this whole social media aspect of it where he wanted people to every day for seven days on social media using the hashtag give thanks post about what they're thankful for. Um, it did not occur to me at the time and to many others that, well, that's seven days from Friday. So seven days from Friday, what is that leading up to? Well, Thanksgiving. And so he's directing us to give thanks at Thanksgiving, which is a time when we typically understand that we're supposed to give thanks. Did that Makes occur sense. to you when you were listening to it, Alan? It did. Yeah. And that's, you know, I've engaged in a couple of, of posts. Bill, yours was one. And that's, that's what I've pointed out. Uh, and it's, you know, again, it's that expectation bar where it's, yeah, of course, of course we should give thanks. And, and, it, and, and Bill, you're right. It, it is a positive message at this time of, uh, of not just the year that it's always Thanksgiving, but at this time at, of this year, there's, there's so much going on where it's like, okay, this, and he even mentions it in, in the message there, there is not uh, this does not make the pain go away. It does not make the hurt go away. But let's stop. And I, I, he had a, a cute little couplet that that he mentioned in it. That this is the bumper sticker slogan that I think he's very proud of. Right. Count counting our blessings is far better than recounting our problems. And you know we can act. We can probably pick apart that. We can pick apart everything because that's why we have podcasts. <laughs> but but. In general, it's yeah. Let's let's be grateful. In fact, let's even be grateful for our problems. Uh, that's a very Eastern way of thinking. So, to answer your question, RFM, I, I did think of that in, in real time. Where yeah, of course, it, it was kind of an obvious thing to do this time of year. Let's yeah, let's let's absolutely count count our blessings or or be grateful for the things that 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 we have. Katie, your thoughts before we go into the actual substance of this address. I feel like I was 
I was appreciative. I have not been on Facebook because I am so sick of the political vote um, voices out there that are just constantly a barrage um, on my own feeds. I'm sick of the COVID posts, the maskers versus non-maskers versus, you know, we're getting our liberties and freedoms taken away from us versus you're selfish and you should be wearing a mask. I, I am sick of it all, to be honest with you. So the fact that there was an influx of just positivity immediately after um, the address, you know, well, it's it can be so super annoying and um, I think tender and triggering for a lot of people, seeing all of a sudden a hundred million people, you know, just post about what they're thankful for. I was really grateful that we had something else to to focus on other than just the day-to-day what's going on currently. And, um, you know, there have been so many studies. You can go to Harvard, help.harvard.edu, and so many studies about the benefits of giving thanks um, and how it help, makes you happier. It can help your own health. And so, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation if Oprah would have said it and millions of people would have, you know, hashtag give thanks Oprah to, to their messages. So for me, it's as simple as I appreciated the positivity. Katie is hashtag giving thanks for hashtag give thanks. That's right. Well, are you feeling happier about having done that? Sure. See, it works. It works. No, I think that you raise a good point because uh, the danger that we run in doing a podcast of this sort is being overly critical of a message that in and of itself really is not objectionable. And that there's a positivity to it, which needs to be recognized. And I want to say something, by the way, Bill, I know you've got the audio there. I was thinking that it might make this overly long and perhaps cumbersome to play the audio because people can go and listen to it themselves. They may already have, but please go to churchofjesuschrist.org, listen to this message, and we can just talk about the things that stuck out to us. So I wanna say also a positive thing about this message is that in the middle of it, when President Nelson is talking about uh, the death of his first wife, and the death of his two daughters, which he's mentioned before. I'm not going to say he's recounting his problems here, but he's mentioning those. And even though he's reading absolutely everything he's saying, and he's got the nice lighting and everything's looking good, but that's one of the things that always surprises me is that when you're focused on a person's face, and of course you're looking at their eyes, right? Because they're talking and that we're accustomed to doing that. And when they're reading something, even if they're doing it very carefully, you can still see their eyes going back and forth. Having said all of that, he's reading it and yet, he got emotional when he was talking about his wife and passing away and uh, on the couch uh, collapsing while they're holding hands watching TV and she dies of something that he was trained to be able to help with and he could do nothing for her. I'm assuming, of course, she had a heart attack. Um, and then about his, uh, his two adult daughters dying of cancer and he got emotional and this was not the typical kind of emotion I see from general authorities in general conference. I'm thinking especially of President Eyring. Uh, yeah, but, outside of outside I, of Eyring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're just total fake, fake, fake. And it's on cue. I sensed, uh, there was a connection that he made with me in that moment that I felt he was being genuinely 
uh, emotional. These were genuine emotions and it connected with me. And I thought that was the strongest part of the entire message. So right now I'm talking about the strongest part of the message. Um, Katie, what did you think was the strongest part of the message? I mean, you mentioned it. Um, I, I really en- enjoyed the fact that he acknowledged that, you know, he couldn't save either of them and he's a prophet of God. Like, what is, what does that say for me in my life? I think, I think like, there's so much I can't control. And, um, you know, maybe I think I don't like this, the talk that sometimes, Oh, if you are, if you have more faith, if you do X, Y, and Z, you know, your blood, these blessings will come to you or the pain will be taken from you. And clearly that isn't the case. And so I really appreciated, appreciated that, um, he acknowledged that, that even despite our best efforts, it's not going to always turn out the way that we want it to, including for him, who is a prophet. Yes. And I've got to say the Radio Free Mormon part of me also has to acknowledge what he did not say, which is that he is a prophet of God and a priesthood holder with all the keys of the priesthood, the only guy on the face of the earth with all the keys of the priesthood. And still he couldn't do anything to save either his wife or his two adult daughters from passing away. That was something that I noted that was not said. But anyway, that's the Radio Free Mormon part of me. Alan, what did you think was the strongest part of the message? I mean, all the way leading up to the hashtag, which was towards the end of the video, I didn't have much to, there wasn't really much to dispute. I mean, you mentioned things that he didn't say, sure. But focusing on the actual message, if I can separate myself, which over time it becomes easier and easier for those who are transitioning away from the church or fresher to this, the longer you go, the less the less sting the messages from the, the top leadership give. It is more of like an Oprah message than it is a prophet message. And so that first part of it, um, I, I yeah, there's there's the the music in the background, which I'm I'm a little weary of. Uh, I, I, at least I acknowledge the role that that music can play in our emotions, and they absolutely use that profoundly, <laughs> but. I, I thought that overall it was it was positive. It was a uh, let's be grateful. Here are examples of how I have had dramatic loss in my life. I've never heard the story of his first wife passing. I knew that she passed, of course, but I didn't know any of the details. And so him sharing that the way that he shared, I think it, he was doing that to say like in in a year. And again, I'm filling in the the words for him, which maybe I shouldn't, but. In a year where so many of us have lost so much, I know how you feel. I've lost two. And like you said, RFM, it was, it was quite real. I want to get back to what you said about the hashtag, because that was the turning point I'm getting from you, uh, Alan. But I want to finish with Bill talking about what Bill thinks the strongest part of the message was. Um, it has been a, a long, difficult year in that... We've all been unable to hang out with our friends like we used to. We've had to put distance between us and people at the grocery store. Whenever you walk into it, like we had COVID, our whole family had it back in June. And I remember sitting for that week and I had a mild case, but I remember sitting through that week and there were days where I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, it's getting a little worse today. It It could go south. Like I remember learning that days five through eight, or when it, when it could get really bad for people. And I 
have seen the the photos and the videos of people in uh, in the hospital on ventilators, and I'm watching the deaths go up. And it has been a long, difficult year. Even if it hasn't really affected you and your family, it has. And so some of this social distance with people we care about, social distance from strangers, everybody has a mask on so you can't really see people's smiles. Um, it has uh, it has worn on us. And this has been mild. I can't imagine living during other pandemics like the Black Plague uh, and other times in world's history where a greater number of people suffered and died, a greater percentage of people, so that it was all around you. Um, so for me, the idea of turning us away from all of this negative and being able to think about some of the things we've been grateful for was, to me, the, the positive part of the message. As I acknowledge, if it had come from any other place or if it had come from a milder announcement from from Mormonism, I, I would have applauded it. Um, so for me, the, the, the part that I enjoyed and appreciated was for just a couple of seconds, stop focusing on all that's gone on this year that sucked and being able to think about some of the good things that have happened in my life. Um, so there's there's my two cents. Thank Bill, you. What are, what are some of the good things this year that have happened? Excuse me, life? Alan. Alan, I'm the host. I don't get to ask questions. Now you're getting you're it. No. <laughs> I hope I'm fulfilling your low expectations of me. No, Alan, go ahead. Ask Bill a question. Oh, you're, you're great. No, I mean, I, I guess I'm cha not challenging. I'm, I'm asking Bill, like, hey, what's your hashtag give thanks for, for the four of us here? You mentioned yeah. good things this year. What, what's something good that's happened this year? So my wife and I, our marriage is as solid and as good as it's ever been. There has been, um, over the course of this year, great opportunities for the two of us to turn inward, to begin to be really vulnerable with each other, to be really transparent with each other, to allow each other to be our own person. Um, and, and, we are as content and fulfilled by each other than we've ever been in our 23 years. Um, my, my kids are all doing pretty well. And I've got kids who have serious issues with depression and other things. They're all doing pretty good right now. Um, work is good. I've got a job that actually has at times been way better because of COVID selling, selling things like guns and precious metals. And, you know, I'm in the loan business. People need loans when times are hard. So employment's been solid. Uh, and I've got good friends. And while we haven't been able to hang out as much, there's a realization that you appreciate these people who are in your life. So from all of those standpoints, you know, 2020 has had positive things that have happened. Uh, and maybe to some degree, some of those things might not have happened had COVID not occurred. And uh, so there, those are some of the things that uh, that I'm grateful for. Thank you, Bill. That was awesome. RFM, you can proceed with your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for not asking me the question because I make it a spiritual practice to not be thankful for things. <laughs> Hashtag don't give thanks. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, I just want to make another couple of comments. Oh, Katie, did you have something you want to throw? Oh, no, we, are, we started with you. Sorry, I've got to keep track of what we're doing in the round robin. Okay, so another couple of comments that I had 
about this idea. And then I want to get back to Alan and your hashtag, because I think a lot of people had, uh, if they had a problem, it was when it changed from uh, being grateful, uh, being uh, thoughtful about our blessings and being grateful for those. And then this whole social media push. But there does seem to me to be this, um, this strange dichotomy that Bill referenced about the God of the universe speaking to his one prophet. And there's going to be a message in this worst, worst year where pe- things are so bad and people are even committing suicide. And we've already touched on that. I think everybody knows what we're going through, who's alive and listening to this in 2020. But it's sort of like the TBM response to this, even in anticipation, is it's going to be wonderful. Afterward, it's wonderful. This could have only come from a divine source and only from God and only through his prophet. And it immediately reminded me of Ghostbusters, right? Because everything I learned in life, I learned from Ghostbusters. But this is like in the beginning scene in the the basement of the New York City Metropolitan Library where they come upon that tall stack of books. Remember that? And Dan Aykroyd is going, is gushing about it and how this could only have been done by supernatural means. And he says, symmetrical book stacking, just like the Philadelphia mass turbulence of 1947. And Bill Murray looks at the books and he goes, you're right. No human being would stack books like this. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. 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 And sort of, sort of this idea that, okay, do we really need a prophet of God to give us a message which we could find, you know, uh, chicken soup for the soul. So many different songs about, uh, you know, having a positive mental attitude. Um, I talked to John DeLynn about this once, and I said, it's like he's not so much a prophet as he is a life coach. And I said, but he's the one true and living life coach on the face of the earth. And DeLynn says, yeah, that's an insult to life coaches. Eat your heart out, Jody Moore. (laughs) (laughs) Jody Moore. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, there, there's all this idea about um, uh, just this, this contrast between uh, the, the buildup for this message and then what is given uh, and in the situation in which it's given with everything bad going on in 2020. It's almost like another scene from a movie where there's hundreds and even thousands of people being figuratively out here in the community and society being crucified. They're actually up on crosses suffering so much. And one of the guys starts singing, always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the bright side of life. Yes, that's what we're going to close with, okay? Because that was what it, that sort of encapsulates my feelings about how underwhelmed I was by this message. It was kind of like a nothing burger with nothing on the side. And it could have come from any source, uh, lots of different people, chicken soup for the soul, Monty Python, Life of Brian. It could have come from so many different sources. But It's something that is not objectionable, and I think overall, a positive message. So having said all of that, having said all of that, now we'll turn to the part of the message where he goes from just talking about being grateful for our blessings, all good, to making it into a social media push with hashtag give thanks, where he instructs the members of the church and anybody else who might be listening, by the way, because before this went on, everybody was supposed to like share this and invite as many people as possible to listen to this message when it aired at, I think it was uh, 10 o'clock mountain time on Friday, November 20th, 2020. But then it goes to, and, and then he wants it to be a hashtag and to have this flood, flood the earth with gratitude in order to try and combat the negativity that's out there. Actually, he went further than saying combat the negativity. He said that it would, he felt it would heal all the ills that are plaguing us. 
that it would heal COVID, it would heal the racial animosity, it would heal the civil unrest. I'm not exactly sure how that was supposed to happen. He didn't explain that in any kind of detail, but that was his message. And so then it becomes something that some people, some people have seen as a thinly veiled missionary program. What were your thoughts about it, Alan? Because you had said first you, you thought everything was fine until he went to hashtag and then it changed for you. Yeah. And, and when I mentioned that it, it changed for me, it was more, it was more like a mosquito bite than it was a murder hornet bite or sting. It was, uh, <laughs> it was more of like a annoyance in, in anticipate and annoyance is even a strong word. It was, it was more the anticipation of what we would see on social media from, from many of our friends and family who are, who are still believing uh, that, that was like, okay, okay, interesting. It, it turned from a, what felt like a very sincere personal plea from, you know, Rusty Nelson. And I, I'm not using that, his, I'm not not using his, his proper title. I'm using it for a reason. It, it came off very personal. And then it turned into, oh, okay, it feels a little marketing campaign-y. Campaign and that same day, we actually received the Ensign. Coincidentally, we don't subscribe to it. It was our neighbors. It was accidentally delivered to us. And on the, the literally that same day, and on the backside of the Ensign is the hashtag give thanks. And that just further, to me, made me feel like, okay, this is, this is a marketing campaign. And obviously, weeks and weeks and weeks in the making to... to do that, right? Like that. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm really, that's interesting. Yeah. It just happened to, to come to our house and see that. So, you know, it, it turned it, it the, the scripture in Matthew came to mind as well. And RFM you, or bill, you may be able to quote it better than me. Uh, so I shouldn't even try, but it's, it's the, you know, when you pray, pray in, in private, when you, you know, don't raise your hands and lament and whatever it is publicly. RFM, I'm not sure if you want to fill in the gaps of the scripture I'm trying to quote. Well, don't pray to be seen of people, but when you pray, go into your closet and the father who seeth in private will reward thee openly. That kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Where it's, and to be honest, I don't quite, <laughs> this is where it's so confusing to be post post Mormon because I actually don't all the way agree with that. Where if, if, a positive message shared publicly can can bring joy to other people's lives then share publicly that's great like let, let's do it but it's it's the the level of genuinity <laughs> just just let me use the word it's that level of being genuine that that really brings that really brings the positivity with it and i think when i was watching live seeing him um, roll out this hashtag i was anticipating a lot of fakeness and have I seen fakeness? Yeah. Especially when you get towards the end of this challenge, <laughs> people are, are like, Oh shoot. What am I thankful now? Go the office. Uh, yeah. Let's go with the office or something like that. Yeah. It's, and I kind of kind of poked fun at that yesterday where I, I, I posted that I was grateful for my uh, learning the, the concept of a cadaver pinky in anatomy class where you, you don't touch your pinky with the cadaver because then you have a, a clean finger that you can use to turn the pages of your anatomy book or scratch your face. And yesterday I was making popcorn and I had buttery hands, but I didn't have a buttery pinky. And so I hashtag gave thanks for my, my clean pinky. So it, it's, 
that's what I was thinking when the, the, the give thanks hashtag was rolled out. Katie, you're trying not to give an eye roll while Alan is telling a story about the cadaver <laughs> No, you're not succeeding. But what, what do you think of that story? And what do you think of fakeness? What do you think of Alan's story? What do you think of the hashtag? That's a lot of things to think about, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. So, I mean, I think Alan's story is just dumb. <laughs> it's a dumb story. That was the point. But I think that in anything that is done, in service that is done, in, in church callings, there is going to be a level of fakeness with, for some people. It, I mean, it's just, that's, that's kind of expected. It goes along with it. Oh, my life is so perfect. Everything is so fine. I have no worries in the world. I have an amazing family, amazing husband. I can see how that can cut to people who are not in that space right? I think that that's, that's one thing about the church that is really hard to deal with is some of the, the fakeness of it all. Um, and, and I don't like the idea that it doesn't count if the world doesn't see it. That's not, I mean, that's for, that's for everyone, everyone's own interpretation. It's for them to decide, right? I, I can't judge Alan's I mean, I can't judge because I'm his wife, but <laughs> I, I can't judge. It's part Alan's, of the job description, I think. That's right. <laughs> I can't judge Alan's story about his pinky. I can't give it too much thought because for him, that's that's what he feels thankful for. Fine. For me, it's going to be something totally different. So I think that you can weed out some of the hashtag um, give thanks posts for yourself. And, you know, I... I can tell when someone is being genuine. I saw multiple stories where someone said, I am, I'm giving thanks to pain because without pain, I wouldn't know that I had cancer again. And, and really raw and emotional things, people who said that they were grateful for their, their um, faith crisis because of all of the things that they had learned. And so I think that you just take it with a grain of salt. You know, you're going to, different things are going to hit you different ways. You dismiss the ones that don't speak to you and the messages and the hashtag give thanks. I just don't think it's, um, I think it's more positive than not. Um, but I also think, you know, for me, one way I decided to hashtag give thanks is I would write um, a text message to someone in particular that I was thankful for. And I didn't want to make a big scene of it on Facebook because that's not my style. And um, it, be it becomes more genuine when you give thanks to the person individually versus you know, in the realm of, of the big group. And for me, that was me honoring how I felt about it. It was a way for me to express myself. And it was also a way for me to, to take what I listened to and felt like it was good and put it out in the world. Can I ask you, Katie, first off, I want to seriously give thanks to you for showing up on this show. I know that there was a little bit of maybe I will, maybe I won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. I definitely and was waffling. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know if she was going to join us until about 10 minutes before we, we sat down. Oh, that would explain the handcuffs on the chair. <laughs> oh, that was, no, that's something else. We'll talk about that. In a podcast. <laughs> but, but I, I really like your idea. Not just a studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me. Okay. Let me, where was I? Oh yeah. I think that's a great idea that you had to let somebody know personally what you were thankful for. I'm guessing that person wasn't me. Maybe on the seventh day, something will be coming my way. I'm hoping. But did you 
brand that thing that you sent personally with hashtag give thanks? All I said was in the spirit of giving thanks and being grateful for what I have, this is why I'm grateful for you. That's all I, that's all I said. You didn't say hashtag give thanks? No. I didn't think you would. And that's not what? I, I mean, I again, it doesn't feel genuine to me. Um, maybe for other people it, it might, but it, it didn't feel good. So I'm, I'm going to be authentic to myself and do, do it my way. Yes. And, how, and I agree with you. How can it possibly be authentic when what you're doing is uh, doing something because somebody told you to do it, right? That's usually not authentic. Usually not, but I felt like, again, in the way that I, I did it, I felt like it honored where I was at. Okay. So great. to me, it, I, to me, it felt authentic. Um, and not that I couldn't be reminded by someone else to give thanks, but, um, I didn't feel like I was jumping on the bandwagon and posting with everyone else, uh, random things. Perhaps it's like it, the reminder of we should be grateful is, is the, what hits us. And then we're the ones that get to decide the best way to express that. Whether it's quietly by ourselves, if you're vocal, you can do it out your window or on Facebook. You like Katie, you you don't want to to uh, not I'm not saying conform. You don't you don't want to do it publicly. So I'm going to be making a more personal personal connection. So it's the reminder. It's not really you're you're not doing it because the prophet told you to. You're doing it because there was a reminder to be grateful and tis the season. So you're going to be grateful in private. Yeah. And having that in mind, like I can already tell you that, you know, when I'm starting to lose patience in the grocery store line, because things are taking forever or whatever. Um, I mean, I had this experience twice where I was starting to lose patience and I thought, you know what? That person is probably super overworked. They've probably been here all day. I just need to be thankful that they're here showing up for their their shift. And and so I think too, having that in my mind, having it be a little bit of a mindset, um, is is been super helpful for me. So no matter who said it or how it was said, um, for me, I felt like it was it was a good thing. Okay. Thank you for those comments. I want to make three comments of my own. Then I want to turn to Bill for your next comment. You'll have a little bit of lead in time to think of this, Bill, about the text of the talk anything that you wanted to say. But the first thing I wanted to say about is this missionary effort aspect to it. Because if you go to the LDS Church website, you will find, uh, of course, at the very top, the healing power of gratitude. Watch new video and you've got President Nelson's face. And underneath it, there are four icons. The first one on the left is the story behind my global prayer of gratitude. And that's where we find out that this actually is something that came to him in the middle of the night. Before he talked, I was sort of joking about that. I said, well, something must have come to him in the middle of the night again, you know. And it turns out I was right. I thought I was joking, but actually I was correct. This is another middle of the night kind of inspiration. That he received, but right next to that icon is another icon. It's and it's got Jesus looking at somebody there. I don't know if it's Thomas or or whoever, but it's got hashtag give thanks on it, and it says a key to hope and healing. This is the key to hope and healing. This whole thing. This is the panacea that's going to cure all our ills. And if you click on that, this is where you get to the missionary aspect of it. It says invite all to hashtag give thanks this week. So everybody's supposed to be invited to do this. If you click on that. Then what you find is, once again, the picture of President Nelson at the top where you can watch the video. But then there's four steps. I don't know if you're doing this with me, but the first step is turn social media into your own gratitude 
journal. Well, this is the first I've heard of journals in decades. We used to hear about them all the time and how all members of the church were supposed to keep a daily or hopefully daily journal. But now we're turning social media into our own gratitude journal. Um, a year or so ago, President Nelson was advocating a social media fast. Now he's advocating a social media feast is how I've heard it expressed. But this is what he wants us to do. And so it goes to everybody in the world. And by the way, I also have to mention that in the text of his address, um, he can't seem to help but see this inspiration he received in the middle of the night in this hashtag give thanks program as at least in part a fulfillment of the prophecy and promise that God gave to Abraham that in thee and in thy seed should all the families of the earth be blessed. So I'm not sure if that tells us a little bit about how President Nelson sees himself as much as it tells us about that promise, but I'll leave that observation at that. Going to number two, say a prayer of thanks, because remember, of course, that's part two. He gives a two-part prescription, two activities, he says, and the first activity is a social media thing, and the second one almost seems thrown in there because it's like pray to God every day and give him thanks. Well, I'm pretty sure that as Mormons, we're doing that already. Um, and then three, okay, Oh, oh, no, no, no. This is, this is what's important. Say a prayer of thanks. And then there's a nice icon there. Well, it says, if you're not sure how to reach out to God, we can help you learn the basics of prayer. And then there's a little box there that you can click called Meet with Missionaries. So there's part of this missionary effort right there that I'm seeing, because I got a feeling that if you click that box and sign up to meet with the missionaries, they may be interested in doing more than just teaching you about the basics of prayer. I don't know. It's just a guess on my part. And then three, build your relationship with Jesus. Okay, now that sounds kind of nice and um, not uh, particularly Mormon-centric, right? It sounds ecumenical, but um, they have this whole program, Get to Know Jesus Christ by Following in His Footsteps. Sign up to start the Walk with Christ email series. So then you can start getting regular emails about Jesus. And after you get a few of those, if you look further into it, I didn't actually sign up, forgive me. But then you find out that once you're done with the ones about Jesus, then they have other things that they're going to want to email you about. And I expect that those will be more um, Mormon-centric. And so those are the things. And it's that four or it's that three. Yeah, that's just three things. So it's a three-step process. By the way, if you scroll to the bottom of that page, Bill, you will see the new logo, the Jesus in a bathtub logo. Are you are you there? Have you been following along with this? Bill? Yeah, I'm. I'm looking yeah, at the. Looking I'm looking down. at the picture right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it looks like I've I've seen multiple times where there was like an upside down bathtub with a Mother Mary statue in it, and this kind of remind. I saw a lot of those in Ohio, by the way, and this kind of reminds me of that. It's kind of Jesus standing in an archway with the name of the church below. Right. So that was the second thing I want to talk about, which is this, this missionary push with this uh, hashtag give thanks. And then I want to talk a little bit about if I can put the fakeness. Um, I never want to judge another person. Okay. Because, you know, I'm just not the judgmental kind. Haters got to hate and I don't do that. But <laughs> now, now, now people are laughing. I'm trying not, I'm not trying to be funny now and people are laughing. Story of my life. But there is, but there is a person uh, who is a friend of mine, and I'm not going to mention this person's name at all, and you'll understand why. Brian. And on <laughs> no, it's actually you, Alan. But, uh, but this person at the beginning of the seven days, very faithful Mormon, okay? At the beginning of the, the this first seven days, of course, he's doing what everybody else is doing. I'm thankful for 
uh, my my wonderful wife, you know, and you got to say that, right? I'm thankful for my wonderful wife. She's meeting my low expectations and I'm thankful for my my four kids and they're grown up and I'm thankful that they are doing so well, right? I'm thankful that they have wonderful marriages and blah, 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 blah. And it's like a Christmas card, right? The annual Christmas card that you copy and send out to all the members of your family. And the thing is, that's wonderful. Now, the first thing that I think, and this shows how small I am, okay? But the first thing that I think is, yeah, I wish all my kids were doing great, okay? But then, of course, I also think just because my kids aren't doing great doesn't mean that it's wrong for somebody else to be grateful that their kids are doing great, okay? Um, But the second thing I thought is that I know this guy, and I know that at least one of his kids is having serious mental and emotional problems, and also problems with the church, which from his point of view as a TBM is really, really a bad thing. So I know the backstory just because I happen to know this person personally, and he's told me this. And then I see everything's great, everything's wonderful, everything's hunky-dory, and I'm going, I think there's an element of fakeness here. I think we've gone from gratitude as a virtue to gratitude as a performance art. So he's grateful for all this. And by the way, like you said, Alan, by the time you start getting to day seven, you start running out of things. And so you start going to, I don't know, anatomy pinkies or whatever it was that you talked about. Cadaver pinkies. Thank you. Cadaver pinkies. Thank you. You learned it in anatomy class. But but I just saw this, this friend of mine's post from last night in my Facebook feed. And now he's to the point where he's grateful for all the crappy things that have happened in his life. All right. And one of the things that he's grateful for that he puts out there is that his dad had an affair with another woman and left his mom when my friend was a kid. Okay. And he's grateful for all this stuff because I've got to be grateful and I've got to be grateful seven days a week. And I'm going to be grateful for for all these bad things because they made me who I am. And of course, there's an element of truth to that. We grow better through adversity. Another kind of thing that we probably don't need a prophet of God to come and tell us. But we grow best through adversity. Uh, the, the growing soul is watered best by tears of sadness, all that other you know kind of stuff. And But it did strike me that not only is he getting to the end of his rope with seven days and trying to come up with things to be grateful for, but he's actually gone from one point of being grateful for the unity of his family and the unity of his kids' families to now, six days or five days later, to being grateful for his family, his mom and his dad breaking up. So it seems that if we put our mind to it, and this may be a positive thing, I'm not sure, but if we put our mind to it, we can pretty much cover all the bases and be grateful for everything, both uh, the good, the bad, even if it's contradictory things. What are your thoughts about that, Bill? We haven't heard from you. Um, I, I don't, I'm going to go a different direction. I don't, I don't have anything to add to the story. I, th- I think some people are processing, whether they're in the church or out of the church, I think they're processing this in different ways. What what struck me, and I want to make sure we get this in, because uh, you pointed to it, which was right after this released, this video, right after President Nelson stepped in front of a camera and did this, um, there was also this thing that hit the the church uh, website, again, churchofjesuschrist.org. It's right there at the top. It is this whole what went into it, the story behind my global prayer of gratitude. And again, we... You know, we start off, you guys just inform me about this, you know, the enzyme. Is it still called the enzyme, by the way? Didn't they change the name of it? it I think it's change. the beginning of the Yeah, year. this is the... It's the last Correct. one before the Lehona. And thank you okay. for pronouncing it correctly, Bill. 
Okay, I'm glad I did. I get a lot of pronunciations wrong, like uh, I'm looking at you. So I'm looking at you, Alan. It's the Einson, right? What am I saying wrong? You're saying Ensign. Ensign is a is a rank in the Navy and Star Trek. Your mom's a Ensign is the way you pronounce a banner after which the magazine is named. But you don't have to worry about it at the beginning of next year because it'll just be the Liahon A, the Liahuni. Which by the which by the way the church. Which, by the way, the church reached out to the Liahona Foundation in the midst of this and said, we'd like you guys to change your name. And so now the Liahona Foundation, which feeds starving LDS children all across the world, uh, felt a lot of pressure from the church to change its name to, I think, the Bountiful. I thought it was uh, the Ensign. Are they- n- no, no. no. <laughs> Are you kidding, Bill? The Bount- no, no, no. They, they I haven't changed. heard this. To the Bountiful Foundation. I know about the Um, Liahona Foundation. It is no longer the Liahona Foundation. Bob Reese and the others there that helped run that uh, felt a lot of social pressure from the church to change their name. And so they've changed it to the Bountiful Foundation that now feeds starving LDS children all across the globe where uh, fast offerings don't seem to meet that need. Um, So going to this news you guys just gave us on the last uh, edition of the Enzyme before it changes – this idea that give thanks was on the back shows that this was in the works for a long time. Combine that with what you guys said early on, uh, Alan and Katie, in regards to like having this lower bar and realizing that messages can be inspiring without being inspired, without God being at the helm and telling our prophet what to say. And you can, you can still see these men as giving inspiration, doing the best they can, trying to help us all become better people and more Christ-like and grow, grow closer to the Savior. I, I, what I find is there's this, there's this rub that happens in this thing that's released where he says the story behind my global prayer of gratitude, because in the first paragraph, he says an unexpected awakening. Have you ever had the experience of waking up in the middle of the night with a distinct thought or impression? Since the beginning of my ministry as the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I've had my share of unexpected awakenings. Many of these have proven to be special and sacred moments from God. I want to share one such experience related to the special video message that was released today. He says, a few weeks ago, I woke up in the middle of the night with the thought that I should offer a prayer of gratitude to God for all of his children around the globe. Thoughts flooded my mind of all the things for which we should be grateful and how expressing that gratitude should become a healing spirit in our lives. As the inspiration came, specific details, including when and how I should share this message, came to my mind and heart. The video message shared today was not one that came by chance. It is one that came from heaven. And so he seems to be kind of countering the space we're all trying to make that, okay, he, 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 maybe he's not acting in that role of prophet very often. Maybe some presidents of the church never act in that role of prophet. They're just doing the best they can. He seems to want us to believe that God reached out in the middle of the night and disturbed his sleep and gave him this thing to do. And again, pointing back to what I said at the beginning, and then I think I'm, I'm done pointing things out. This was such an opportunity to say things. If God woke him up in the middle of the night and this is what God has got, then I, I, I just struggle as somebody who's deconstructed Mormonism to, to, to be pulled back in any way to see this guy as having some kind of special access to Heavenly Father. I, I, it's just a struggle for me. And I, I get a little frustrated when I'm continually told by this man 
that God is waking him up left and right, and yet every time he tells us to get ready, something big is happening, nothing big seems to happen. Um, it, it's, it's a letdown. And I'm a little flustered by all the time and energy I spent in all my time in the church. And I was uber committed. I was, you know, both feet in, uh, as well as each of you, at least at one time were, and, and Katie still are. Um, it, it's hard to listen to people propose that they are something that they're not. And I think it's the reason why when people leave Mormonism, they can't leave it alone is because it's continually in their face telling them it still is this magical thing and it still does damage in relationships and it still does damage to those who are still believing when somebody loses belief and steps out because this thing claims to be this, this magical thing that the only thing on earth that has what it has. Um, I just, I, I want to be a voice for people who have left and to recognize why people are hurt and bitter and frustrated, why people like me are posting different kinds of give thanks on our Facebook page, and that we ought to have some, not just tolerance, but some compassion and uh, some allowance for why people who have deconstructed the church, why they've done so, and why they're still frustrated with the institution. Do you have any thoughts on that, Katie? Um, no, other than I can feel, though, I can feel like where you're coming from and I can feel really the raw emotion that you feel in that. And I, that is just as valid as, as my feelings. And I may feel different than you, but that doesn't invalidate either of us. And so I appreciate you expressing that because I think it's important for everyone to have a voice and that voice is absolutely needed as well. Katie, I'm not here to put you on the hot seat, Thank okay? You. I think you are. But I wanted to ask you, <laughs> do you feel differently than Bill expressed? And if so, in what way? I think it goes back to what I said before, because I'm so nuanced. I just, I, I have decided that I'll just take it for face value for what they're trying to present if, if, and no other way. And if that applies to me, um, I will apply that to my life. And if, if not, then I'm, I can swipe it away. Right. So for me, the message was positive. It was in good spirit. I do believe that people can have inspiration. Some people get it through dreams. Some people get it through meditation. Some people get it in the middle of the night. That doesn't bother me. Um, and you know, the larger message of, of uh, wanting something bigger to happen or a, a message that was bigger or an announcement. Um, I just don't feel like that's who he is as a person. And so I, I, I don't really see that happening. Um, I feel like they're trying to be, um, at least he's trying just to make it neutral as possible, make it something that's going to be positive and let people do what they want with the message. And that's what I got out of it. Um, Katie? Overall, for me, it was positive. Katie, follow-up question. Okay. What do you think of the fact that God is continually waking up this 96-year-old man in the middle Let of the night sleep. and never just talks to him during regular business hours? It seems rather rude. <laughs> it's kind of rude, isn't it? Do you think it correlates with like the time he has to pee? <laughs> right. I mean, he's got a prostate problem, I think. 
at that age, doesn't everybody? <laughs> that's true. Alan, that's true. Alan should be prophet. I mean, I'm up just as often as he <laughs> what? is. I'm not getting tired though. Alan? He, oh, he's up three times a night. I am six foot seven, but I have the bladder of a five-year-old girl. <laughs> I, I think that I'm not going to be the judge of how people receive inspiration. So, uh, you know, however, however that happens, if that's what they want to say is they woke up in the middle of the night. I just, I don't, I don't care. It's like God lives in Eastern Europe and he's on a totally different time zone, right? So it's the middle of his day and he's calling uh, President Nelson and it's the middle of the night. It's Colab London time. Yes, Alan, I wanted to ask you what you think of your wife's comment. You know, we, I'll Be answer. Careful. I'll answer. <laughs> I, would like, I would like to simul- simultaneously agree with Bill and Katie. How's that? No, it, w- the space that we're in with him in a mixed faith marriage and in all the couples that we talk to has really prepared both of us to be able to walk that middle road and really put each other, put ourselves rather in each other's shoes and in everyone else's shoes in between. So when I hear her speak about, you know, she knows that I, that I can come across as, as either judgy or rightfully upset at some of the things that president Nelson will say. And she understands that and she empathizes with that even though she doesn't feel the same way. I feel like I, I have learned to have give her that same space in return where I shouldn't project my feelings of betrayal or hurt on her because that's not her experience. So when she shares things like she just said and she's grateful that this is mostly positive, that's awesome and that's great for her. And she took that message and she strengthened relationships with with her sisters and with other friends through private messages. Is that who she sent the letter to, Alan? I'm sorry? Is that who she sent the letter to? She was trying not to say. Oh well, I mean, I she mentioned to me, yeah, that she just texts a few of you know her sisters, friends that are that are in the same spot as me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's for me. I'm hashtag giving thanks for her positive experience through this. I think it it's great. Okay, so let me make a few other comments here, and then I want to get them to bounce off you. Get your comments. First off, I thought it'd be a great idea if I talked to somebody who's never been a Mormon, and that's my fiance. Okay, never been a Mormon. Tell her about this message. Get her reaction to it. She actually didn't want to watch it. I said, it's only 11 minutes long. She says, that's too long. Okay. So I told her what the basic idea was. And her response was, well, yeah, that sounds like a great idea and everything. But it also sounds like something that a teacher would tell a first grade class. Okay, guys, just we want to be thankful about everything or write a, I don't know, an essay about what you did on summer vacation. And excuse me, I was just seeing a, a little message coming in from Alan. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to comment on it. Apparently, oh my gosh. They're going to have to leave shortly. Okay. So we want to focus on them. Uh, but yeah. And when she said that, I all of a sudden I'm seeing it kind of differently and I can immediately see what she's talking about. It is very much kind of like a little kid thing to do in some ways. And um, it sort of plays into the idea about the infantilization that some people talk about that they see of the members of the church, that they're always kept as uh, little children, they're treated as little children, they're talked down to as if they were little children. And the way I put it, it is that in the LDS church, we never really graduate from primary. So since Alan and Katie, by the way, Alan, that message about you got to go here in five minutes, that applies to Katie too, or is Katie going to hang on? 
I mean, it does. He's yeah, got, yeah, I have to take a call on this computer here. Okay, so here's the deal. You can respond to that. You can make your closing comments. The remaining five minutes are yours. Oh, wow. No, that's an interesting concept. I mean, I, I memorized all 13 articles of faith, so I'm pretty sure I graduated primary, but uh, understanding uh, what, what Miss future Mrs. Radio Free Mormon, I don't know what to call her, Mrs. Miss Radio Free Mormon. Uh, I, I've met her in real life as well, and she's delightful. But I, yeah, I, I see what she's saying. I, I think that this, this is one of those things. Uh, Jonathan Streeter, I know, wasn't able to join us but I saw his his comment on one of the posts where it's like, I have plenty to criticize the church on. I'm just going to let this one slide. Uh, that's that's more or less how I feel about it, where absolutely everything that we've said here that is critical is is true. Absolutely. There are bigger fish to fry. And uh, in, in large part, I think that in a few weeks, we'll, this will all just be forgotten and we won't really be thinking about it much. So that's, you know, with that being said, I'm hashtag giving thanks for Katie because I love you. And Bill, I love you too. And RFM, I love you more. My gosh, you guys are great. Love you most. Katie? I think um, I, I like what your your fiance said about it's like a first grade lesson. You know, I think that that just goes to show the simplicity of the message. And so you take it for what, you know, you want to. I feel like sometimes we try to make these grand gestures in the church and oftentimes they fall short. And so going back to just like very simple things you can do is, is usually the best way. And um, also it's something easy, right? People don't need complicated things and the church is full of complicated things. And so the simplicity of the message, the simplicity of the hashtag um, I felt overall was positive. I, I recognize the hurt some people feel. I recognize that um, people are probably gagging at some of the posts that others are making, knowing exactly um, the situations these friends or family members are in. But also, I feel like it's everyone's right to do it um, how they want to. And I've been overly grateful for the fact that there's been such positivity rather than negativity. You're muted, I think. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. I was muted. Probably a good thing. Actually, I was saying, I'm so thankful for both of you, Katie and Alan coming on the show. And I think that's a great way to finish it. Now, Bill, you and I are going to hang on for a few more minutes, right? And we're going to talk about Alan. Yeah, I, I don't have much more, but yeah, I can probably go another five or 10. Oh, really? Okay. Well, maybe I'll have to expatiate on my own for a while after that. I got so many (laughs) thoughts about this address. But thank you so much for Alan and Katie for joining us. By the way, there's two minutes left. Did you want to do maybe drop a little promo for a certain thing you got coming up in January? Oh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, if you're not familiar with our podcast, Marriage in a Tightrope, Mixed Faith Marriage Podcast, a lot of people are in this space. Um, We've partnered with Natasha Helfer to do a six-week mixed faith marriage course that is done, of course, through Zoom. Even without the pandemic, it would be difficult for all the people across the world and mostly the U.S. to uh, to join with us. So uh, it's a six-week course where you learn how to make a mixed faith marriage not only work, but thrive. So if you're interested in that, if you want to learn more, you can go to marriageonatightrope.thinkific.com. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C.com. Or you can just email us, marriageonatightrope at gmail.com. 
RFM, thank you very much for having us on your show. Yes, thank you. You are so welcome. Hashtag, I'm giving thanks for both of you. <laughs> Have a great day. My friend. You too. Every, audience, stay with us. Stay with us. They're leaving the building. Bye-bye. Okay, Bill. Hey, hey just really, really quick, um, just to put a little plug in for those two. They've got a Facebook group, Marriage on a Tightrope, and I think there's 1,500, 1,800 people there. You know, you and I deconstruct and reconstruct Mormonism in our podcast. We're constantly talking about the issues in Mormon history. Those two are really doing real work on the ground in helping uh, marriages move beyond this kind of tense moment of one partner leaving the religion or deconstructing their, their beliefs. And I don't think they get enough credit. I, I just would suggest for anybody listening, who's a fan of marriage on a tightrope, um, you know, you and I, and I don't mean this as any kind of, I hope this comes across the right way. You and I get a decent amount of donations. Um, we do pretty well. And I'm surprised that we don't, we aren't able to get more donations for marriage on a tightrope because they're doing a way greater work and it's impacting way more people in like real serious ways. Um, my two cents is for anybody who loves marriage on a tightrope or finds value in that podcast, would you just go on to, to Mormon discussion podcast.org and hit the donate button and just hit the drop down window and donate to marriage on a tightrope. Um, those two, those two should uh, be, be on some level compensated for their heavy contribution they make to this space in ways that help marriages to make it through these moments where I think on some level, maybe 40, 50% of marriages don't. Um, anyway, my two cents, those guys are just doing the greatest work that I'm, that I'm aware of inside Mormonism. You and I have these fun conversations, but those guys are where the rubber meets the road. Those are, that's a really good point. I also want to say that I really enjoy listening to their podcast because they have a wonderful way of expressing themselves, of bouncing off of each other. They have a great rapport, and it makes for fun listening. So I encourage everybody to listen to their podcast as well. And if you are going to donate to their podcast, and I encourage you to, just make sure you're not taking it away from your donations to me. <laughs> okay. So with that said. <laughs> okay. Okay. So... Here's, the, here's the, the big overall picture that I got of this message. First off, he presents himself as a man of science and a man of faith, right? But once again, this background, Bill, this background about two failed days of fasting and prayer, which he ends up not mentioning. He doesn't ask for a third day of fasting and prayer. He doesn't mention the prior two days of fasting and prayer from half a year ago, which did not work. And it's interesting to me how he changes his... Uh, Without mentioning it, he sort of changes his approach. Now, first off, he says, I'm a man of science, and we've got all these people who are working hard on, you know, coming up with a cure for COVID, and we wish him the best, but I'm really not going to talk about that because as a man of faith, I see all these other ills in the world, and that's what he's really going to talk about. No longer is he going to be about asking God to turn back COVID as a man of faith. Instead, he's going to leave that to the medical professionals. And what he says about the other ills is, as a man of faith, however, I view the current pandemic as only one of many ills that plague our world, including hate, civil unrest, racism, violence, dishonesty, and lack of civility. So that's really what he's going to talk about there. And then he says right after that, skilled scientists and researchers are laboring diligently 
to develop and distribute a vaccine against the coronavirus. So now it's all in the hands of science. God is out of the picture when it comes to a cure for the coronavirus. And I see this as at least a mild form of gaslighting. We're not going to talk about the prior days of fasting and prayer, which didn't do the trick. Instead, now we're just going to shift the message and leave it out of God's hand and put it into the hands of the scientists. And then he's going to go on and talk about gratitude as a way that he claims will heal these problems that he has identified. And once again, he doesn't exactly say how it is that it's going to heal those things. It may make us feel better about ourselves personally. It may make us more um, happy. And I think that there's probably evidence to support that. Generally, being grateful is better. A happy heart or a thankful heart is a happy heart, as Veggie Tales sings it. And when he gets down, by the way, to his prayer, remember when he gives his prayer at the end? He bows his head and he prays. And this is what he says about COVID. Notice that it's no longer about God healing the COVID and turning it back. Instead, now the shift goes from God to us to deal with the COVID crisis. And in the middle of his prayer, he says, we are grateful for all who are striving to combat the COVID pandemic. Please bless them with protection and inspiration. Well, what inspiration? The inspiration they need to cure it, right? Please bless them with protection and inspiration. And then he concludes this part with, wilt thou help us end this virus that has plagued so many of thy children? And by the way, not only does he change this, then he actually sort of highlights what it is that I'm talking about uh, when I talk about at least a mild case of gaslighting without mentioning the two prior days of fasting and prayer and how they didn't work and now how he's shifting it from God to mortal man and science to come up with the cure. Let me see here where I can find this. Excuse me. I apologize. You probably hear me scrolling. Oh, yes. It's right before he gives the prayer. And when he's talking about his second activity, which is just praying every day and giving God thanks, he says, second, let us unite in thanking God through daily prayer. Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray by first expressing gratitude to God and then petitioning him for the things we need. Okay, then he says this. Are you ready, Bill? Prayer brings forth miracles. He says that in his, uh, his talk that he gives, his address, he says that in the story leading up to the talk, he thinks it's important to reemphasize it. But when he says prayer brings forth miracles, my immediate reaction when I heard it was, well, yeah, except for those two worldwide days of fasting and prayer to turn back the COVID, which we aren't going to talk about. Your thoughts about that, Bill? So obviously the words, so, well, let me back up. When you read, like he's praying for the safety, uh, you know, may Heavenly Father bless these people to be safe and come up with a vaccine. And the reality is, I understand there's a placebo effect to praying the reality is praying seems ineffective at really solving any kind of problem. You know, it might solve the problem of you eventually finding your car keys. It doesn't solve the problem of people not being kidnapped or people being sold into the sex trade business. It doesn't solve the problems uh, that and the ills that uh, face society on a daily basis. And it sure as heck doesn't seem to be having any effect on COVID-19. Um, there are certain things that seem odd. So Utah has uh, its cases are up to 2,244 new cases on Monday. Here we are on Wednesday, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. 
And because of the Mormon influence on the state of Utah, unlike all the other states, Utah dropped its restrictions on social gatherings for Thanksgiving. So you have uh, LDS, Mormon governor, uh, Gary uh, Herbert, who under pressure from uh, the people and from Mormonism has drop the restrictions in the state of Utah so that people, so that groups of 40 and 50, cause it used, it was 10, 10 or less. He dropped it so that 40 or 50 people in a family can get together and have Thanksgiving. RFM, what do you think is going to be the result of uh, president Nelson's prayer in Utah about three or four days after Thanksgiving? Um, I'm guessing it's going to be ineffectual. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be different than that. I think it's going to be a significant increase in cases immediately following Thanksgiving because we're allowed to get together in groups of 20, 30, 40. Um, I, I don't understand when we, when we let ourselves say, hey, let me say a prayer. That'll solve the problem. Look, we've had too fast. They didn't work. Uh, we can say all the prayers in the world. They're not going to work. What's going to work is us doing the protocols that – are required to keep ourselves safe from each other and science, which is, has, and is going to continue to uh, create vaccines and health treatments that is going to essentially turn the tide on this thing. Prayers are ineffectual. And I know that people who are religious go, no, 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 no prayers. It's just not, it's just not data based. We can get a hundred people together and say prayers for something. And we can get a hundred people together and do science on that thing. And the group on doing science is going to outbeat the prayers by far every single time. And the prayers are going to be shown to have the exact same effect that the placebo effect is. It, it's not real. We're playing in play in a play world where we say like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I, just cause I say this thing is true. It is, it's not. So there's another little rant from me. Prayers are great if you want to just capture the placebo effect, but if you want to actually make a difference, uh, you have to get off the couch and do some science. Yeah. It's sort of like the habit we have in the LDS church of having, I don't know, punching cookies or whatever after an activity. And there's always the closing prayer, please bless the refreshments that they may nourish and strengthen our bodies. Well, the prayer isn't going to change the fact that those things aren't any good for us. They're not going to nourish our bodies. They're not going to strengthen our bodies. Yeah. And 10 of the people still have diabetes and three of them are going to die this year. That's just the nature of life. Yeah. So we have a habit of this idea of praying things that even I think at some level we know are kind of ridiculous, but we do it anyway because it's what we're supposed to do and we hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the leaders pick up on this. I mean, again, are we really, I mean, are these guys healing anybody in Utah of COVID? No, these guys don't spend any time at the primary babies hospital in Salt Lake City, you know, blessing babies. Like you told me before, people aren't walking out the front door healed from priesthood blessings. Um, every general conference you pointed out, nobody gets healed. Everybody just dies. Um, President Nelson, again, no offense to the story, but there was a young girl who had cancer. He didn't bless her to be healed. That just wasn't going to happen. He knows inside his head he can't turn the tide on any of this. But we have to give lip service to it because that's Mormonism. And the reality is it really doesn't work the way we think it does or we want it to or we hope it does or we say it does. It just works the way humanity works and, uh, and the chips fall where they may. Do you have five more minutes for me to make one more comment? It's so small, but to me, I think it's of interest. Please, I've got till 945, but then I got to let you go which is four minutes away, so I better hurry. It has to do when he's talking about his wife of 60 years, Dancil, passing away. 
And he makes this interesting statement. And it stuck out to me, even though it's so small. And it stuck out to me because that the fact that he felt he needed to make it. And here's what he says. I am grateful to God for the nearly 60 years Dancil and I shared together for a lifetime of love and joy and cherished memories. And then he says this, and I thank him for my wife, Wendy, comma, whom I met after Dancil's passing, period. And when he said that, that one line, whom I met after Dancil's passing, kind of leapt out at me because I thought, why is it that you feel like you need to add that clarification, President Nelson, that you didn't meet Wendy until after Dancil had passed away, which of course made me want to go back and check the record books and find out how soon after Wendy, excuse me, how soon after Dancil had passed away did he marry Wendy? And I found out that it was the following year. So uh, Dancil passes away February 12, 2005. And he gets remarried the following year in April. So technically, 14 months later, the wedding bells are ringing for President Nelson and Wendy. And, you know, that's not, I mean, it's not like two months and it's not the next day or anything. But I suppose that it may seem somewhat sudden, especially for a man of his years, even at the time, to get remarried. A lot of general authorities just don't get remarried. I think that he and Elder Oaks are a little bit different in that regard. But it was just so interesting to me that he felt it was necessary to add that, that in some way, either personally or from other people, that he got some kind of pushback about having married so soon afterward, and was there some impropriety there? I'm not saying there was any impropriety there. He actually did know Wendy before Dancil passed, and they had something going on, and I'm not even suggesting that that's the case. I just think it's interesting that he personally felt the necessity in this 11-minute worldwide broadcast when he's thanking him or God for his wife, Wendy, he feels compelled to add whom I met after Dancil's passing. And of course, this made me go back to Hamlet, right? Where Hamlet's having the same problem where his dad dies and his mom gets remarried within two months, two months in his case, right? Not even two months. And he's talking to Horatio, his friend about it. It's a great line. It's very brief, but he's talking about how quickly his mom got married after his father's funeral. And he says, thrift, thrift, Horatio, the funeral baked meats did coldly furnish forth the marriage tables. So it's like it, he, she got married so so soon after her first husband's death that the food from the funeral was able to be used to feed people at the marriage. It was so just it, a little cold. Just, just a little a, cold. Just a little bit cold. It's just a funny line. And that's what it made me think of. So anyway, it's these little things sometimes that jump out at me. And I wonder, what is going on in your brain, President Nelson, that you feel like you need to add whom I met after Dancil's passing at a minimum. It seems like there's a sort of virtue signaling going on that he wants to make that clear for anybody who's interested or even thinking about it at this point, that everything was on the up and up. And this marriage 14 months later after his first wife passed, uh, he didn't know Wendy beforehand. There was nothing going on here, nothing to see here. Just move along. Yeah, there. it's almost felt like there was a little whisper somewhere that he was trying to, to straighten out and uh, put right. Right. And at the time in 2006, um, and of course, Wendy, uh, this is her first marriage and she had a career as a professor of marriage and family therapy at BYU. And she retired from that job. Do you know what year she retired? <laughs> yeah, probably the same moment he took over as president of the church. No. Well, when they got married, or when they got married, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. In 2006, boom, I'm retired. So 
and and that makes sense. And I'm not criticizing. You don't need the you don't need the double income anymore. Well, no, I mean, not when you're married to retired heart surgeon for crying yeah. out loud. Oh my yeah. gosh. So at the time, so it's 2006, and she would have been how old? She would have been 66 years old. She was, uh, or no, 56 years old. She was born in 1950. So in 2006, she's 56 years old, and he would have been, well, he's 96 now. So if you subtract 10, that's 86. Oh, six. He would have been 80 years old then. And he didn't even serve a mission. So it's not like he got the blessing of serving a mission and, you know, all those promises to those young men. If they serve faithfully, then they'll get this beautiful young bride. Um, he didn't even serve a mission to get that. He just, just coincidence and stroke of luck. Yeah. She's 56. He's 80. He was really robbing the cradle, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. All right. Well, I know you've got to open the store. Let's close this out. And I want to thank everybody. Publicly, I want to thank everybody for my relationship with you, Bill Real, that you are a great friend, a great guy, gave me my start in podcasting, for which I will always be grateful to you and sing your praises. Love it. I love it. So you've got a closing song picked out for us, right? Absolutely. We're going to have as the closing song, the, the final song in The Life of Brian. And it is the song that I think encapsulates this message from President Nelson. The reason I think it encapsulates it is because in the middle of well, at the end of 2020, the worst year on record in this generation in the country of the United States of America, that where we've got people who are losing jobs, losing businesses, losing incomes, losing houses, uh, losing their lives even, uh, a year of isolation and difficulty, that we have a message from President Nelson, the prophet of God on the face of the earth, direct from God to your ears. The healing message here is be grateful. Always look on the bright side of life. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air. Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Hey. Always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing Ain't always look on the bright side of life Come on Always look on the right side of life For life is quite absurd and death's the final word You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your sin, give the audience a grin Enjoy, it's your last chance anyhow. So always look on the bright side of death. Just before you draw your terminal breath. Life's a piece of shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. 
You'll see it's all a show. Keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the right side of life. Always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the right side of life. First things happen to see, you know. Always look on the right side of life. Well, you've got to lose, you know. You come from nothing, you go back to nothing. Well, you lost. Nothing will come from nothing, you know what I say? Cheer up, you old bugger. Got my music grin. There you are. See? The end of the film. Incidentally, this record's available in the foyer. Someone's got to live as well, you know? Who do you think pays for all this rubbish? Always look on the money back, you know? I told him. I said to him, Bernie, I said, they'll never make that money back.